Well, today we begin three weeks of gospel readings from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, the first of five blocks of teaching uh, that Matthew has distributed through his gospel. And Jesus gives us two images to take away today, as we have up here a salt shaker uh, and a lamp, a source of light. Uh, perhaps today we would say a light bulb, of course an eco-friendly one. And of course that immediately makes us think of light bulb jokes. Do you know the Anglican version? How many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Change. My great-grandmother gave that light bulb. Or perhaps we better hear a Baptist version. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Three. One to change it and two to bring the water to baptise it just in case. <clears throat> Don't try that one at home. One more Anglican one. How many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Well, a whole congregation. One to call the electrician. The rest to talk about how much better candles used to be. And we have our candles as well, so we're all right for a power cut. Well, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. Two deceptively simple images, but they take a lifetime to unpack and to live out. And as I think about salt, I'm immediately taken back to my trips to the Awatari region south of Blenheim, uh, where as part of my curacy, I took services once a month down at two very small rural churches in Seddon and Ward. And in the early morning, I would drive carefully past the, um, it was actually the freezing works then, where, the, where one of the vineyards is now, where the traffic cop was always parked. So I'd go carefully past there, and then I'd zip off down uh, past the salt works at Lake Grasmere. And I never ceased to be amazed by the changing colour of those salt crystallisation ponds as they matured towards harvest. And it was sort of in these months of the year. And it would sort of start a sort of a dirty snow sort of colour and then eventually turn to beautiful shades of pink and purple, which I understand are actually microscopic algae and shrimps. So look, at, look for that next time you shake your salt. Uh, perhaps, though, we have a bit of an ambivalent relationship with salt. On the one hand, salt is good, adding flavour and zest. It said that when potato chips first hit the market, they bombed completely when they were first marketed, until someone had the bright idea of including a small blue twist of paper containing salt. I don't know if anyone remembers when apparently it was separate from your chips and you put it together. Uh, and of course now the rest is history, if you think of the hundreds of sorts you can get. But of course, of late, we've been told to lay off the salt in our diets out of concern for our blood pressure. And I thought about this as I watched one of the patriarchs of our family layering on the salt on his meal uh, over the holidays. He was doing very well, thank you very much, in his 90s. <clears throat> but salt, we know, has been used throughout history as a preservative to stop things going bad like meat and fish. And we can understand that when Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth, we're called to be those who are to help keep human life and human society from going off, if you like, from going bad. We are to preserve the good in society. But more than that, we're called to be positively salty 
in terms of giving zest and taste and flavour to life. So what will give taste and zest to life in our city once the summer holiday events are all over? Or when we have to sort of knuckle under for the year and get through the winter? This reminds me of some lines of one of Shirley Murray's hymns that we're actually going to sing uh, today as our offertory hymn, Take My Gifts. And she suggests that our gifts and the fruits of God's spirit growing in our lives need to be spiced with humour, laced with laughter, flavour of the Jesus life, tang of risk and new adventure, taste and zest beyond belief. I love that collection of words with all their consonants, spice, flavour, tang, taste, zest. Those words should get your juices flowing. They sound like good words to me for Scrabble. Particularly zest, just remember that zest one. So what does it mean to say that we are to be people who bring flavour and taste and zest to the life of our city? One thing we hope will bring some of that is our community fun day and picnic uh, here on March the 1st, not too far away now. And it's on National Children's Day as we invite our community to come. And I'm always intrigued that it's the very favourite old egg and spoon and tug of war games that everybody seems to uh, love the best out on our church lawn here. One of the challenges Jesus puts to us, though, is that salt can lose its saltiness. And it's thought that Jesus might have been referring to uh, the times of, of rare rainfall by the Dead Sea, which would water down the salt deposits, which are now pretty much uh, all there is there. Or perhaps he might have been quite um, slyly alluding to a common practice among merchants at the time who would adulterate uh, salt, which was heavily taxed, and they would add a bit of a sort of a cheap white powder to it to stretch it and make it go further, uh, thus diluting its flavour and effect. Perhaps we might think of the piles of salt that we spread on icy roads in England or Europe, and occasionally here, to melt ice or snow. It's valuable as grit, but it's no longer fit for its real purpose, uh, thrown out and trampled underfoot, as Jesus puts it. So Jesus' challenge to his disciples not to lose their saltiness follows in the spirit of the prophet Isaiah in our first reading, a pretty trenchant um, um, reading there from that prophet. And Isaiah doesn't pull any punches in declaring to the people that their religion is worthless, however sincere and busy their religious life and ritual might look, if it's not matched up by lives that seek to bring God's concern for justice and mercy and sharing of the world's resources to bear on our world. I always find those words particularly challenging. It's so easy, isn't it, for our lives to be busy, leading a good life with good intentions, but not in a way that's actually any risk or any cost to our personal comfort zone. It's interesting that Isaiah talks about lip service, and that's an interesting phrase to ponder, isn't it? Lip service. Uh, Lip service is not enough, he says, in God's service. Note, though, that Isaiah ends those very hard-hitting words of challenge with the wonderful promise that when our lips and our lives do match up, God promises to be there for us. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help 
and he will say, here I am. Over the last few days since Waitangi Day, we've heard many New Zealanders on the airwaves speak about the need for all peoples to work together in this land. And I want to quote just a few of them. I'd like to see New Zealanders all working for the same outcome to make New Zealand a better place for us all so that we all share. I'd like to think that we all care about our country and care about each other and share in what we're doing. The biggest issue facing New Zealand is the growing gap between the haves and the have-nots. It used to seem like we were all in this together, but now it seems there is this growing inequality. What is in place for those families who are strong to reach out and support those families that are struggling? You can't get there if you spend all your time knocking heads against each other and drawing up into camps, which then confront each other in a hostile way. You've got to be prepared to say, well, I'm not the same as you, but actually that's really interesting. Let's learn from each other. So what might our contribution be as salt and light to a vision for our country? And what might our contribution be as salt and light to the many living in this city, including many now coming to live here among us from overseas? Part of our contribution might be the words that we use in our workplace and in our community during the work, during the week. Salty speech. And before you think you've just been given permission to come out with some very salty language, Paul puts it this way, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. And for that I know that I will need to pray before I speak, not after. We are to be salt of the earth, light of the world, light which is not hidden the church in the middle of our community as we are here. But don't panic, we are all in this together. Everything Jesus asks of us, he asks us to be and do together. You, plural, are the salt of the earth. You, plural, are the light of the world. People, a community, the body of Christ. And Jesus is with us by his spirit, Jesus whom we heard Simeon recently call the light to lighten the Gentiles, the nations. And Jesus, who himself claimed, I am the light of the world. Jesus, who was willing to be raised up on a cross, on a hill for us, that he might draw all people to himself, to be the light which draws, to be the beacon of hope and new life. So this is the adventure we're called into together this year, a lifetime of living into God's kingdom, of helping to build the kingdom of heaven on earth, as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven. On earth in a world that longs for hope and reconciliation and healing. A hope which lasts into the school year, which lasts even when the weather gets a bit parky, as someone was telling me at eight o'clock. Or heaven forbid if we ever were to lose the cricket. Fortunately, we don't have to worry about that one. Won't talk about rugby. It's a high calling, isn't it? So let us commit ourselves afresh today. And as we hear so often, 
Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen.